Good morning, everybody. You guys doing all right this morning? Good. Anybody doing awesome? Okay. All right. Just checking. Sometimes we're just going to like do the okay. Like, are you guys okay? You guys feeling okay? I think we can raise the bar on okay, right? I mean, we're the people of God. I mean, this is, this is one of those things we sing these songs, you know, the, this kind of revelry should like rise up in our hearts at some point, you know? Um, we were singing that song, you know, hallelujah. And a lot of times we like to do the nice hallelujah. It's all like gentle and soft and, you know, but that, that song to me is like really the essence of, of hallelujah. Like hallelujah should always have an exclamation point behind it. Hallelujah. You know, it's like one of those, it's one of those words that it's not just like, Hey, this is all good and peaceful, but it's like, we're taking ground. We're like moving forward. It's like Eureka. I found it. You know, it's, it's this, it's this movement of, of the spirit of God. He wants to, he wants to burst forth joy. And, and in the midst of all of that, like the reality of guess what? We've shown up in this place with pain. We've showed up in this place with problems. Some of us, you know, marriages are not going like the way that we want them to. Some of us, you know, um, bosses are, are not treating us the way that we would like for them to. Um, you know, some of us, are, our children are, are out of control or our physical health is just kind of, you know, we're, we're just kind of surviving. And in the midst of that, God says, there's still joy available. What's your perspective? What will you set your eyes on? Will you, will you lift your eyes? Because every part of the story that you're experiencing, my hands are in. I'm molding and shaping. And that's really, to me, as we've been going through this book of Esther, it's one of the most important pieces of the puzzle. And a lot of times people think, um, well, as, as we've been studying Esther, you know, like kind of people think that some of the scholars that, that um, Esther was actually drawn out of some of the Persian writings actually Persian history. And they just kind of took it straight out of that and, and put it into the Bible. You know, and you look into it and you go, oh, well, the, you know, God isn't mentioned. Prayer isn't mentioned. You know, the, there's this spirituality that is absent. There's a Jewish culture, there's a Jewish people, but, but they're non-practicing. The temple has been rebuilt at this point, but, but it's, it's far away. Here they are in, in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. And, 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 the, and, the, and the temple is, has been rebuilt, but it's, but it's over in Jerusalem. And we find, as we're getting into this story, that there's these people, this group of Jews, that is still just decided to stay in Susa. They could have gone back, but they've decided to stay and be non-practicing Jews for whatever reason. It's hard to, we, we don't have to speculate. Sometimes, you know, that's one of our greatest flaws as humans, right? We speculate on people. Oh, I know why they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know you. Mm-hmm. We, we get that, right? I mean, we, we like, we judge people very quickly. This is, why is Dan wearing all black? You know, like, just, doesn't he have the joy of the Lord? Is he at a funeral? What's, I mean, we're going to get to that. Why is Dan wearing all black? We, we get, this, we get this, this thing, you know, kind of in our minds and in our hearts. And, and God is unfolding his story all around us. But as we dive into, into Esther, you know, what we're seeing is, is that you don't have to say God for God to be there. Okay? You may enter this place, you know, like Pastor Eric said, and you may not, you may not even believe in God. Guess what? God's still active in your life. God is molding and shaping. God is trying to draw you. He's trying to get your attention. 
His spirit is out working in the world, working with every single person on the face of this earth. Every single person is a, is a creation of God. God loves them. God wants relationship with them. Yeah, they may not be treating you right. Your, your heart may say, you know what? You're not worthy of, of me giving you respect. But God says, like Pastor Mark taught us last week, you know, the people of God, if, if, we've, if we've experienced the love of God, our identity and our security comes through him. And we give everybody respect because they're his creation, because we have an opportunity to, to show the glory of God. To opportunity to share the love of God, an opportunity to participate in the privilege of partnering with God in his ministry of drawing the entire world to himself. So that when we see, you know, in the end time, in, in Revelation, when we see all nations, you know, acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. That we know that we have partnered with God in that. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Wow. Well, what am I doing now? How am I partnering with God now? How am I bowing my knee now? How am I confessing now with my life as a reflection of who God is? Powerful stuff, you know? And we, and we wrestle with these questions that are in this video of, all right, I'm speaking to God. How do I know God's will? How do I know that God is active and, and moving around with me? And, and how do I know that, that he is, you know, in my car as I'm driving? And how do I know that he is with me as I lie down and, and in my sorrow, in the deepest place of where no one else in the world can understand me or reach me, that God is there? Like the psalmist said, if I make my bed in hell, God's right there with me. He's still there. There's nowhere that I can go from his spirit. These really deep things. But along the way and with this Dicer Deity um, conversation that we've been having, this journey through Esther, one of the things that we're looking at are these moments in time, these places where we go, okay, was, this, was that situation circumstance? Was that coincidental? Or is this a roll of the dice? Is this random? Or, or is this something that God is orchestrating and moving through? And so if you look at your fridge fold, you see a, a couple different things that are going on that we've looked at in the past. Um, is it adored moment, dice or deity? It's Pastor Mark's thing. I don't know. I'm just going to follow his lead. Is it adored moment that Xerxes dumps Vashti because of fearful advice from his advisors and rash action to his pride being hurt? Is that, is that something that, that God actually confirmed that and, and helped that come about? Or was that just, eh, that's just Xerxes being Xerxes? Chapter 2, is it adored moment that, that Esther gains favor with Haggai? That, that she seemed in his sight the one that he needed to spend his attention on and, and give her favor is it a adored moment that mordecai overhears the plot to assassinate xerxes is it adored that xerxes doesn't reward mordecai and then last week we looked at is it a adored moment that haman cast lots for a genocide date and it came up nearly a year later Remember, Haman entered the scene last week um, with just kind of coming. He'd uh, been given a position of power. He was an Agagite. He was one of, the, one of the descendants of the Amalekites who, when the people of Israel back in Exodus, when they left Egypt, the Amalekites came up from behind the Israelites and attacked Now, as they were traveling, one of the things that ancient cultures used to do is they put their strong people out front kind of as a buffer, and then the women and children would lag behind. So who did the Amalekites attack? The women and children. 
the Agagites, these are the descendants of the Amalekites, the, these people that, that are, are hitting at the weak points, people that are looking for, for the weaknesses and, and kind of like using that to their advantage. And this is a picture in the Bible of the flesh, of our carnal nature, you know? Those times where we're just kind of, we, we look at our lives and, we, and we, we say words like, I can't, I wish I could. I wish that, I wish that addiction would just go away. I wish I wouldn't be so impulsive or compulsive. I wish I wouldn't be so codependent. I wish, I wish this character defect did not exist within me. I, I, I wish. That's what this, this person, Haman, that's what the Amalekites, the Agagites, that's kind of what they represent throughout Scripture when you look at it. Our flesh is always going to hit us in our weakness. It never sleeps. It's always looking for opportunity to tempt us. We don't have to blame it on the devil. Yeah, he's doing his own thing. But guess what? Your greatest enemy is you. (laughs) My greatest enemy is me. The choices that I make that either honor God, show God love, or show me love. That's really what it comes down to. The things that really, if I wrestle with it, it's, it's the things that make me comfortable. But as we go through kind of on this journey, you know, there's not always these dice or deity moments. It's not always, you know, like this big coincidence or circumstance. Because guess what? Over the, over the course of what we've been talking about in just these few chapters, we've covered about four years. You know, so this is, this is kind of like how our lives go. We're just going along, and, and then there's this moment. We have this choice. We have this, this opportunity. What am I going to do? Is, is this something that, that is coincidence? Is this an opportunity? Is this an open door that God has supplied? Or what, is, what does he want me to do? And finding out the will of God. Sometimes we want the writing on the wall. Sometimes we want, you know, uh, an audible voice. But God's will is, is much more simple than that. If you look in the Bible, you see very clearly so many of the things that God says his will is for us. Love God, love others. How are we doing on that? How, how are we doing on that? But, but they're not lovable, you know? But I can't see God. How am I supposed to love God, love others? How, how are you going to find out who God is, the nature of God? How are you going to dive in deep into your faith? Because faith is going to be the defining moment. Faith is, faith is really the thing that, that can turn pawns into queens and kings into pawns. That's kind of what we see. Xerxes has just been a pawn in the hands of God. We looked at some Proverbs that talked about those kinds of things last week. And now this, this woman, Esther, she's kind of been a pawn. Yes, she's queen. But she's been a pawn. She, she's been in that position. Hey, go find all the pretty virgins. Well, I just happen to be pretty. And so they, she got chosen and, and, and then she, she goes into the harem and they prepare and, and she, she doesn't really have an opinion. Hey, just, just do whatever. Tell me what to do. Tell me the clothes to wear. Tell me the thing to take in, you know, um, to, when I go see Xerxes, you know, and she's kind of been following Mordecai's advice. Mordecai, tell me what to do. And we're going to see a shift in this chapter where this, this queen who has simply been following all of a sudden, her faith is catalyzed. Doesn't use the word faith. Doesn't, doesn't use the word God. Doesn't use, doesn't use the word prayer. But we're going to see this catalyzing action that's going to happen in chapter 4 as we dive in. These moments where, where we have the opportunity in our life to, to not just kind of weigh out whether something is coincidence, but to really dive in deep into our character and make a choice. From this day forward, this is what I'm going to do. 
This is where we get the famous phrase in this chapter for such a time as this. So as we dive into this, um, we're going to be, you can, look, you can open up your, uh, your Bibles to Esther chapter 4. You know, some of you, you using the, the Bible app on your phones, your iPads. You know, for those of you that are looking around going, hey, why are they on their phone? You know, don't, don't worry about it. Just, just give them the benefit of the doubt. They're reading God's word. Okay? All right. All right. Let's dive into chapter 4. So what happened at the end of chapter 3 was basically this decree went out that the Jews were supposed to be um, killed, slaughtered, and annihilated. As if any one of those things wasn't good enough, all three of them were put in the decree, you know? And then, and then Susa, the capital, was left in this state of confusion. And that's where, that's kind of where we pick up. Chapter 4, verse 1. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. So Mordecai's response was, he hears the decree, he, he's, one, he's in the palace with Esther, he's one of her counselors, he hears the decree, he immediately goes outside of the palace gates, tears his clothes, gets the most uncomfortable, scratchy thing he can call clothing, wraps himself in it, and puts ashes on him and just sits in mourning. And there's this ripple effect that happens as people, you know, they didn't get the Twitter feed, you know, it wasn't a Facebook status, you know. It was one of those really kind of slow things that just kind of began to emanate from the inside out and then throughout the land of like, hey, guess what? If you're a Jew, your expiration date has been given. Can you imagine? I mean, some of us don't have to imagine that at all. There's people in this room that maybe your expiration date has been given. Maybe, maybe the doctor has told you, you only have this long to live. Or you know someone that is in that scenario. What does that do inside of our hearts? What does that do in, the, in this in this place of like wrestling with our mortality. Because I wake up every day thinking I'm immortal, right? What's happening today? What am I going to do? Here, here we are. I'm going about my business. What am I going to do today? What am I going to eat? How am I going to feel good? Who's going to get in my way today? Right? This, I'm immortal. And then all of a sudden, you know, we come to this, this stark reality of what life is, is really about. It just strikes to the core of our self-preservation. And Mordecai doesn't sit there and go, hey, I got an in. I know the queen. They're going to kill the queen? Well, I mean, I know she's Jewish, but certainly, I mean, she's got, she's got a way out of this, you know. And hey, I'm family, so I'm, I'm probably okay. He doesn't do that. He hears what's going on and, and he, he understands because his historical perspective is, goes well beyond, you know, just his lifespan. His, his historical perspective is we are the people of God, that all of history is his story, that God is unfolding and interacting and working with his people. And God has promised that he's going to be faithful to his people always. And, and we're the Jews and we're the people of God. And, and if we die, it's not just, 
It's not just that I die or that I lose my life. It's that the story of God, the story of God's faithfulness might come to an end. What, what, what's going to happen here? There's this worry. There's this trepidation. And he goes into this deep place of going, it is not okay that people around me are going to die. It's not okay. It's a, it's a cause. It's not just some form of like social justice. Hey, Jews have rights too. Come on, let's pick it. No, it's this deep place. He didn't go and, 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 and create a bandwagon for people to jump on. He got down in humility and, and groveling and fasting and wailing. And, and dare I say, I'm sure he was talking to God, right? Doesn't say he's praying. But we're, when we're in our deepest despair, we cry out to God. I know atheists uh, cried out to God. <laughs> Why? Because they know when they see their mortality. Now I'm not, I'm not wrestling with theories anymore. I'm wrestling with the reality that my life is about to be over. And all of the things that I've lived in, now I'm beginning to wonder about, is there more than this? Mordecai wrestles with that and he puts on the sackcloth and ashes, you know, he just sits there in, and, and verse four, he says, it says, when queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent him clothing to replace the burlap, but he refused it. I'm not going to be, I'm not going back to the comfort zone. This isn't just, you know, I'm not just having a pity party, but I'm going to stay here until something happens. Because if I don't stay here until something happens, something else is going to happen. I'm not going to sit on the, on the sideline and just wait for someone to kill me or annihilate me or slaughter me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be proactive in, in humility. This is one of those things that like, we really have to wrestle with. What are your weapons? When you are faced with your mortality, when you're faced with, with a situation, when you're faced with an enemy who is, who is persecuting you, when injustice is happening to you, what are your weapons? How do you go about fighting that battle? Are the weapons of your warfare spiritual? Is it prayer and, and fasting and, and, and asking the Spirit of God to fill you and to overflow you so that you're living out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control to whoever you would face, to whoever you would encounter? Or are the weapons of your warfare manipulation? And revenge, retaliation, anxiety, worry. Because God's word has answers for all of us in all of these areas about the things that will feed our souls and that will bring about God's purposes and set us free. And it also gives us instruction about what worry and anxiety lead to and what revenge and vengeance lead to. And if we want wisdom, if we want God's purposes, if we want to, if we want to be free, then, then God unfolds his ways. And Johnny Cash was one of the, one of the guys, you know, um, who really just kind of lived out this, you know, he, he gained a certain amount of acclaim and fame. And, and then when the Vietnam War was going on, um, he, he kind of came to this turning point and made this decision and, cre- and, and made this song, Man in Black. You know, and he said, I'm going to be the man in black. I'm going to be, I'm going to, you're going to see me up front. You're going to see me clothed in, in all black because I want this to be a remembrance for you. 
I want this to be an identifier for me. I'm identifying with the poor and the downtrodden. And when you look at me, I I want you to remember that there are people that are dying every single day. And there are people that need us to love them. There are people that are suffering injustice. And what are you going to do about it? And this is kind of like his version of burlap and ashes. Just to be able to say like, I, I'm not just, you know, in the song he says, I'd love to wear a rainbow every day to, re, to, to give the world this hope. I don't remember the exact words of the next one. I'd like to wear a, a rainbow every day to, to let people know that things are getting better. But until they actually are, until there's actually hope and power and justice in the world, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life in such a way that you can get just a little glimpse of discomfort. That you would get a little, a little vision of a, a little interruption that, that there's more to life than the pearls and the diamonds. There's more to life than the house and the cars. There's more to life than who likes you or how much money you make. There's more to life. Love God and love people. This is one of those things that, um, you know, there's been two times in my life that as I was going through this and thinking about it, that I've really kind of laid in bed in mourning, kind of like in my my burlap and and ashes. One of them was years ago, and, and it was actually before I was a follower of Christ. I'd just been living my own life, trying to be a good person. I was raised in a Christian home. Um, my mom's here, you know, she, she raised me the right way. She lived out faith, you know. Um, but, but I spent seven years running away from God. And, and in this final month of that, I began to really kind of reap all uh, of, of the glory of, of, of sowing to the wind, <laughs> All my relationships were broken. My, my personal life was, was a wreck. I was completely dissatisfied vocationally. And I finally just came to the place. I just stayed in bed for a month. Barely went to work, didn't pay bills, barely ate. And I, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't pray. I, I wailed. <laughs> I fasted. I cried out. I suffered, I made myself miserable, and finally after a month, after about 30-something days of this, I woke up one morning and I looked at myself in the mirror and I couldn't recognize myself, and I just said, Dan, you are an idiot. Go do the thing that you've been trained to do. God is real. I had to, like, preach the gospel to myself. I wasn't even a Christian. And I'm like, you know what the right thing is to do. Go seek God. But I spent that month of misery of just kind of wailing and, and fasting and suffering because of my own consequences. Back in November, um, my, my wife and I lost a baby. And um, it, was, it was on the day of our 13th wedding anniversary, we, we gave birth to Naya Grace, a beautiful very premature baby and and she and she had been passed for a few weeks and we found out just the day before and kind of went through this process and i gotta tell you that was the single greatest disappointment of my life one of the biggest challenges of my faith because i know words that god has spoken to me and i hold on to them god speaks to me very clearly and 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 when my baby died 
God's word was challenged. And my heart was challenged and my faith was challenged. And I laid in bed in that hospital room. Thank God it was just me and Renee. I laid in that bed inconsolable. Just weeping bitterly at the loss and at the pain and at the suffering and asking God, why? All I can see is darkness. I know that you're here. I know that it's light, but all I can feel is oppression and darkness. And I have been robbed. God, why? Why is it dark? I need meaning and I need purpose. It is not okay for this. This will not be swept under the rug. And I need, God, for you to give me beauty from these ashes. It was interesting because as that was unfolding, God brought me to two different things that I was reading. They were both about adoption. And in one of the stories, I came across this name, Naya. It's an African name. And I... And I, and I just was like, that, it just kind of captured my affection. It, it captured my attention. And all of a sudden, there was just this endearment to this name. I didn't know what it meant. And as I continued reading and studying, I found out that that name meant light. And that name meant purpose. And that name meant beauty. It's the exact answer to the three things that I had been moaning and crying about. And God in a very short time, just led me to this while I was even laying in that hospital bed. Well, for me, the real personal thing was the, was the light and was the purpose. And the next day, my wife had not seen Naya. And as we were getting together and gathering our things, I brought her over and we just sat. And, and Renee's first words out of her mouth were, she's beautiful. And I said, her name is Naya Grace, and her name means light and purpose and beauty. And it was just one of those things, like all of a sudden, like this, this veil lifted, and we, and we experienced in that moment the relief. But if we had just said, you know what, this is not comfortable, this is, this is something that I don't want to deal with, oh yeah, this happens to people all the time. It's just part of life, get over it. If we had stayed in that place, if we had not wrestled with the depth of mortality, if we had not gotten down deep into our soul and let our hearts bleed and be upset, just as God is upset with death and with destruction, and not get to that place where we saw the good news, where we saw the glory, then we saw that Jesus kicked death's butt. And there is not just simply pain, but there is also hope and there is power and there is truth and there is victory. If we don't see and experience those things, if we don't long for those things, if we don't demand an answer in our lives, then we will go the way of apathy. We will go the way of, of actually facilitating and bringing forth the annihilation and the killing and the destruction in the world, the slaughtering in the world. If we don't lean ourselves towards God's purposes, we will find that the things that we do are going to cause pain. We see it all around us. Every relationship causes pain. How will we be the tangible hand of Christ to a lost and hurting world? 
The next several verses kind of go through this scenario of basically just kind of relaying information because although Esther was on the inside of the palace, she was completely oblivious to the decree. Verse 5. Then Esther sent for Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathach went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace gate. And Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathach a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathach to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathach to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathach returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. So Mordecai relays what's going on. Hey, Esther, you don't know. Here's the facts of the situation, and this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to go into the king and to beg and to plead that this decree can be revoked. So verse 10, it just continues. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So what's happening here is, is there's this decree and this law. You know, you couldn't go into the inner court of the king without being invited. If you did then he had to hold up his golden scepter as a sign of approval, as a sign of favor. If he didn't, it's off with your head. So this is the very real tension of what she's experienced. This isn't just like, well, if I do this wrong, I'm going to get a demerit. I'm going to get a speeding ticket. I'm going to, he's not going to like me, you know. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, kick me out from being queen. No, this was, this was a life or death thing that he's asking. Hey, I'm here wrestling with, uh, with my mortality and, and the mortality of all of these people. And Esther, you have been given this position of power. God has given you a place of influence. He has entrusted you with a responsibility and you need to wrestle with this too. I'm going to ask you to put your life on the line. Very powerful thing. Not a situation that you and I really, you know, wrestle with on, on that magnitude. But, but the reality is, many of us in this room, we've been entrusted with children to cultivate their personality. Not to live vicariously through them, which is what parents have a tendency to do, you know. Got my son, you know, bow and arrow set, you know, like, because I never had one, you know. And he wanted it, but I, I got to tell you, I enjoyed watching him shoot it. I even took a turn, um, but, but, the, we, not, but we need to cultivate our children, you know? We've been given gifts and talents and strengths, spiritual gifts. Each and every one of us and in this room, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been given a spiritual gift that you are entrusted with or multiple spiritual gifts. You, you have strengths. There are experiences that you have gone through that God has entrusted to you. Just like me losing, my wife and I losing a child. God has entrusted that pain to us. What have you been entrusted with? How are you cultivating that? How are you incorporating that into your story? How are you seeing that all of your story is his story? And how are you letting God glorify himself in and through these things? 
That's kind of the challenge of what Mordecai is saying here. It's like, you need, to, you need to feel some of this pain. You need to wrestle with this. You're not safe. And this is how he kind of goes a little bit further with that in verse 13. He says, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. What have you been entrusted with? As you look around your life, what what is it that that you are in a position of influence for just such a time as this? As an employer, how are you leading your employees in a godly fashion, treating them with respect, finding their strengths, pointing out the good, cultivating them and helping them grow? You don't have to just say, hey, you need Jesus. (laughs) Show them love. How are you doing that? Mordecai says to Esther very bluntly, I know that deliverance is going to rise up. I know that we're God's people. God, God's, the story of God's faithfulness is, is it, it's not going to go away. But I have to wrestle with this pain. I have to wrestle with the what if. And I have to wrestle with it because I want to be available to see where God's going to lead. And Esther, it might be you. This voice of intuition, this voice of discernment, this voice that says that speaks into her life as an elder and says, hey, God has given you everything you need to step into this situation. Maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe, maybe you've been receiving information for your whole life and you haven't really stepped into this position of authority. Maybe you just kind of been obedient and submissive and doing what you're told. And now it's time God has called you to step forward and to put your life on the line, to, to take responsibility because you're the queen and these are your people. And she wrestles with this and she says, she sent this reply to Mordecai, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to, the, to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Up until this point of the story, it's Mordecai that has been telling Esther what to do. And now all of a sudden she owns, her faith is catalyzed. Yes, I accept the responsibility that has been trusted to me. Yes, I'm going to invest in these people. Yes, I'm going to do the job that God has called me to be. I'm going to be diligent. It doesn't matter what all these other people are doing. It doesn't matter what's going on out there in the world. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. One of the things that whenever I read scripture, I, these words of Jesus kind of echo in my mind. And it's the words of Jesus that say, the volume of the book is written about me. In in the book of Esther, where there's no talk of prayer and there's no talk of God and there's no real spirituality that is, is, you know, coming to the forefront. Where's Jesus? And I can, I can, I think we can look at Esther in this moment and just say, as she steps up and accepts the responsibility, if I must die, then I must die. And we see a very beautiful reflection in her face, in her character, in her spirit. Of Jesus Christ. 
As he wrestles in the garden of Gethsemane, pouring great drops of blood, saying, Hey God, if there's any other way, Abba, Daddy, I don't really want to die, but, but I will. And then what he experiences as you continue reading the story in the different gospel accounts, as he walks out of the garden, as he stands up from prayer, as the mob with clubs and swords and torches in the middle of the night approaches him, as he speaks the word and he says, who do you seek? And it says that as he spoke his word, all of them fell down backwards. It's power, strength, this authority. We're going to see Esther step in as she has just catalyzed and said, no longer playing games. I'm not just going to enjoy the diamonds and the pearls and the luxuries of the palace. I'm not just going to enjoy the beauty treatments and the good food and the attentiveness of the eunuchs. I am going to do what now this time has allotted for me to do. And I am going to take responsibility. If I die, I die. And for us, as we finish up this chapter, you know, we've been talking about these, these places in scripture, you know, Romans chapter eight, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes, desiring God's purposes, dice or deity. We have these moments, these, these wrestlings, you know, this, this kind of catalyzing place of faith. And it, it just, the real simple question is, do I want to have God's will unfold in my life or do I want my will? God, your will be done or, or my will be done. And as we kind of wrestle with that, if we look at a few of the previous verses in, in Romans chapter 8, we see that this is something that, that God wants us to wrestle with. It says, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. What are you experiencing in your life as you wait what are some of the tensions that you're going through? What is it that you're hoping for and longing for? Then like Mordecai, speak those words of faith to say, hey, yeah, the, the, it looks grim, but deliverance is coming. The good is coming. And everywhere that you feel weak, understand that God gives us his spirit without measure. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Where would God like to empower you with those things today? Where would he like to speak into your life and convict you and say, you know what, for such a time as this, you've been called to be that child's parent. For such a time as this, you've been called to be the light of the world in that workplace. For such a time as this, you have been called to cry out and be brokenhearted for the poor and the abused, and the downtrodden. Where will you bring joy and light to darkness and sorrow? Let's pray.